Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition. Boy, oh boy, that chapter was... Oh, I'm like... Horny, rich. horrifying. You know, it, was, it, was, yeah. it, it was rich. It was full of joy and horror. I don't intense. know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. at least like sexual joy. Mm, or, mm-hmm. or maybe not, but also maybe not, horrible though. awfulness. Yeah. yeah. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about Ezekiel 24, about this cool soup that he was making, and then also mm. about his wife dying. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Emily was going to find out some more about Eugene Peterson because yep. she was asking some questions about that in the episode. And then Dedeker, of course, couldn't do a bonus after this episode without talking about donkey penises and mission of horses. Always more, more, right? Uh, yeah. I, Always I more. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm on the edge of my seat. Also, I'm standing right now, so do without <laughs> what you will. Uh. Okay, all right. So, So here's the deal. I tried to look up this whole thing about the the soup, the cool soup that he was cooking. Mm-hmm. And basically, I didn't get any good answers. What I got was, well, he was a temple priest, which was actually news to me. I didn't know that that was one of his jobs. This is but he was a temple priest. Ezekiel. Really? Ezekiel is? Yeah. Okay. And so people were saying, well, putting all the meat in the pot was like they were doing a sacrifice. And so the point of this is that even if you put in the best choicest meats at this point, doesn't matter. Your mm. your pot's dirty. Like you are so bad that like you can't you can't make it up now. Interesting. Okay. You know, you've you've messed up so bad that buying me flowers isn't gonna make it mm. right. I think yeah. that's kind of the yeah. the message here. It's fair. It's fair. That's what I got there. But in trying to look this up, what I actually ended up finding was a lot more commentary about Ezekiel's wife dying. Oh. Oh, geez. Really? Right. Because he was ordered to not do any mourning stuff and then she died right away. Right. Yeah. And it was, they kind of glossed over it. It was yeah. like, and his he had a wife and she's gone now. And he right. had to deal with it poorly. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Oof. Boy, oh boy. the The amount of reading into both Ezekiel's motivations and emotions and reading into Yahweh's motivations is abundant. Like, it is mm. hard to find. Because, like, sure, how would you, right? Like, you go into this yeah. with the assumption of Yahweh is loving. You're going to try to find some way to find that in this, right? Same thing, you start with the assumption that Ezekiel's a good guy. You're going to try to find some way to explain this it backs that up, right? So okay. things that came up in that was like, well, we don't, we weren't told, but maybe Ezekiel's wife was already sick or something, and this was Yahweh letting him know mm-hmm. it's, she's gonna die now, hmm. like gave him a little bit of a heads up. That is an interesting interpretation. It is. Rather than like killing her himself. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like some people even saying the fact that he says I'll, I'll kill her with a stroke meaning that was a merciful that she died quickly as opposed mm. to suffering a long time. And I'm like, again, mm, if you're really like your goal is to make Yahweh nice, sure, you could you can try to find some, some ways, right? You can try to find some things. Now, as far as Ezekiel not mourning, it's like one possibility is she was going to die anyway. And so Yahweh tells him this and says, just hear me out. This could be some of your best performance art yet. <laughs> Gosh. Got to take advantage of this. Don't do any mourning, right? 
take advantage of this. This is good press. The newspapers are going to eat this up. Wow. Don't mourn. Make it be a performance art piece about the fact that everything's going to go bad for all of them and they're going to be terrible and like not be able to mourn. Do that. It's going to be great. And he was like, gosh, well, that's going to be hard because I loved her so much because you said she's like the desire of my eye. And you're going to mm. take her away. Gosh, wow, look at everyone. Ezekiel is such a loving guy, but also really obedient to Yahweh. Yahweh is also a good guy. Everyone's good. Everything's great. Mm. That's interpretation cool. one. Okay. 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 Great. Great. Interpretation two. Uh, variations on this, but I found one that's from a book called Seeking Ezekiel by David J. Halperin. Uh, David J. Halperin is a psychologist, and he wrote a book about psychoanalyzing Ezekiel based on the writings of this book. Hmm. And psychoanalyzing Ezekiel. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. Give it to me, baby. And he does admit psychoanalyzing someone who lived 2,500 years ago. There's some challenges, yeah. methodologically tough, yeah. speaking. Definitely. But let's take a look. And so essentially his summation of Ezekiel is that he's a marvelously gifted yet profoundly disturbed man, tormented by it. inner conflicts over his sexual longings and fears. Oh, oh, I believe that too. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right? I believe that. Attracts. <laughs> wow. So basically, he, he goes on and he talks about how essentially Ezekiel is dominated by this pathological dread and loathing of female sexuality. And he Seriously? expresses this in symbolic language of his dreams, such as the temple being polluted by idolatry and in his allegory of the, the horrors of Israel and Jerusalem. So like the stuff that we just read. I thought that was The Rock who was doing this and then he was just saying it. Well, we've brought I, this up before, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the whole question. It's like, who's okay. actually saying this? Where's right? the chicken it, and where's the egg? Mm-hmm. Is it Ezekiel or is it Yahweh? Ezekiel Got says it. it's Yahweh, but we only have Ezekiel's word for it. So, mm-hmm. Hmm? Mm-hmm. and it may be not even Ezekiel, but maybe someone else who wrote it down later. Totally. Right? There's like layers of, we don't know, right? Because Yahweh didn't, didn't write the book himself. Yeah. And then also kind of goes on to talk about Ezekiel's kind of weird relationship to male figures as well, including Yahweh, and kind of struggling with this. What I thought was interesting was sort of the message that he puts. And this is just based on the description from the Penn State University Press, which published this book. And it says, um, the sexual pathology that he attributes to Ezekiel has afflicted humanity for most of its history, tainting the relationships of men and women the world over. Ezekiel's powerful influence on posterity has done its part in strengthening the grip of this pathology. By understanding Ezekiel, people may come to a better understanding of his sickness within themselves and thus eventually come to find healing. Okay. okay. So we did try to find a silver lining to Ezekiel of like, what if the message of Ezekiel is not to do as Ezekiel did or said, but to learn from just how sick he was. <laughs> In his right, like in in his wow. psychology okay. toward women and his own sexuality and stuff, that we could learn from that and all heal from Gosh. it. So it's like, wow, Wowza. two very different ends of the spectrum of how people view Ezekiel. That's fascinating, wow. though. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Wow. You know? I yeah, I think that's always what I'm wondering about these people who who see God in such a way that causes mm. them to like proclaim all of these amazing outlandish things 
and talk about like, you know, what's happening around them in this really negative fashion and saying that God's going to kill everyone. But then he kind of does. So it is, he is prophesying. I don't know. It's, an, it's interesting. That's, so that's yeah. one other thing I learned. I learned a term uh, oh. that is vaticinium ex eventu. Oh, okay. And it's a term for a prophecy that was actually written down after the uh-huh, fact. Yeah. Basically. Oh. I feel like that's probably happened a lot. Got it. At this point. I'm sure we've yeah. come across it a ton, right? It gets like, mentioned. I knew that was going to happen. Right. It gets mentioned a ton in talking about biblical writings as Mm. well as Babylonian writings, like all sorts of stuff where it's like, sure, maybe the person we're attributing this prophecy to lived before the event, but the people writing it lived after the event. And so we can't trust the writing of it. So vaticinium ex eventu is attributed to Ezekiel quite a bit. Wow. All right. It's pretty incredible. Well, our friend Eugene Holland Peterson. Mm, Holland. Holland. What a what a name. Yeah. What a man. Holland. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was born on November 6th, 1932, and he died not that long ago, October 22nd, 2018. Yeah. So he would have been oh, 90 wow. next yeah. year. Um yeah, and he died right before we started drunk oh, Bible study. Man. It's true. It's true. Maybe we did it as a love letter to Eugene in yeah, some way. I like that. This is the yeah. whole show is our homage to Eugene. Exactly. So yeah, he got a philosophy degree from Seattle Pacific University, and then also oh, wow. a, a Bachelor of Sacred Theology degree from New York Theological Seminary, and then finally a degree in uh, Semitic Languages from Johns Hopkins University. So he also founded Christ Our King Presbyterian Church in Bel Air, Maryland, and he served there for 29 years before retiring in 91. And then he became a professor of spiritual theology at Regent College in Vancouver, uh, from 1992 to 1998. And then after all that, he decided to go to Montana and just like write, 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 write. Montana. So that's fun. So writing the message happened after all of that? Yes. So, okay. Oh, wow. Because he's a pastor and then a professor and then wrote this. I believe, yes. So and then a poet. And then a poet, yes. Exactly. And then a poet, yeah. Pastor, <laughs> professor, and poet. The Eugene Peterson story. Tinker Taylor, soldier, spy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or wait, okay, no, I'm wrong. It says in 93. So let me let me go through this. Let me go okay, through this yeah. in terms of the message. So he, uh, let's see, it says eight years after 1982. So that means in 1990, he <laughs> agreed to translate 10 chapters of the gospel according to Matthew. But stopped after translating four. He's like, I th- it was as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was just awful. It was wooden, stilted, and contrived. Believing the task futile, he skipped to the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know what this is, but I feel like I've heard those words together before. Um, he said that he skipped there just to have fun, and then something happened. I found my voice. Oh. And millions of readers agreed. And so... In 93, he released the New Testament portion of the message. So in 93, that happened. And then in 2002, it said then he released the entirety, the Old and the New Testament in the summer of 2002. So yes, the entire thing was after he had left, you know, being a professor and 
a pastor and all that stuff. This helps my understanding a little bit because I was confused about the timeline because I remember being in college when the message was like a thing. There you go. That's why, right? Right, and I was in college from... 2001 to 2005. Perfect. So, yeah. so I was like, but then when I heard, but I think I saw somewhere that it came out in 93 and I was like, wait, what? So that, that was long, only, that was, yes, the yeah, New Testament portion. Makes sense. Okay. So it took 10 years. And yes, it says after retiring from the 29-year pastorate at Christ our King Presbyterian Church. Um, so yeah, that's really incredible. Uh, however, just so everyone knows, this guy wrote like 45 books. This is just one of them. Goodness. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. Are the um, other ones all commentaries or like what? Uh, well, okay, let me let me read some. So, A Year with the Psalms, 365 Meditations and Prayers. That sounds like the, what is it? The Stoicism book that I read. Mm. Growing oh, yeah. Up in Christ, A Guide for Families with Adolescents. Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work. No idea what that is. The Contemplative Pastor. Uh, returning to the Art of Spiritual Direction. So stuff like that. It's not okay. necessarily, I mean, kind yeah. of commentaries. Yeah. The Christmas Troll. I would love to read that. Oh my gosh. We have to do a bonus <laughs> oh at my some God. point reading that's, The Christmas Troll. Yeah, that's our little holiday bonus. Uh, that's good. I'm, let me look into that and we'll... I'll make a note of that so we can look into it. It's wow. Yeah, 2004 was when that... Oh, yeah. we have to read the full title of this book, which is The Christmas Troll, colon, Sometimes God's Best Gifts Are the Most... God, it's so long that that it's even cutting it off Something in my it window. It the doesn't... Most unexpected. Yeah, yes. Oh, I say, okay, the most unexpected. Yeah, wow. This is Eat This Book, colon, A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading. Wow. Whoa. Wow. So, yeah, basically, I will say that he received some criticism for it, but he also says that the message is unlike any of his other books and articles. It doesn't feel like my book says the author who returned to, yeah, whatever. I was a servant to the text. It's a strange thing, really. The thing I'm best known for is the thing I feel least identified with. That's very interesting. Hmm. And understandable. Hmm. I mean, you know, he really just did a a translation, but he did want to make it more understandable to everyone. And because he knew... He had a degree in languages, in Semitic languages. That was mm-hmm. how he was able to like read it from Greek, I guess is what he said, which is nuts. And right. then that translate sense, it from you, there. I feel like you kind of, that's like a prerequisite. If you're going to do a translation, you've got to know Greek and Aramaic and shit to, to yeah. have any basis to say, yes, this is legit. Yeah. So, okay. The stated goal of the message was to make the original meaning more understandable and accessible to the modern reader. Peterson said, when Paul of Tarsus wrote a letter, the people who received it understood it instantly. When the prophet Isaiah preached a sermon, I can't imagine that people went to the library to figure it out. That was the basic premise under which I worked. I began with the New Testament in the Greek, a rough and jagged language, not so grammatically clean. I just typed out a page the way I thought it would have sounded to the Galatians. Or Galatians? Galatians. Galatians. Okay, yes. Yeah, wow. So that's really fascinating. Um, I will say he did have a wife, Jan Peterson, who died in 2019. Um, And yeah, she sounded like a lovely lady. They were together for, (laughs) what does this say, like 60 years or something? Like a really, yeah, married 60 years. So uh, yeah, she was also on the regent... What is it? The Regent College staff. 
Um, and you know, all of it, they loved God, obviously. So that was cool. It does say that, yeah, during his final days, it was apparent that he was navigating the thin and sacred space between heaven and earth. We overheard him speaking to people we can only presume were welcoming and him into paradise. There may have even been a time or two when he accessed his Pentecostal roots and spoken tongues as well. Whoa. <laughs> okay, wow. I'd believe it. Yeah, and he died of congested Ooh. heart failure. But anyways, I mean, it, based on what all this says, he sounds like a cool dude. He's... uh you know, just a, a white, white-haired man and a white, <laughs> white-haired lady. And um, yeah, and it's fascinating that he did so much other stuff besides this. Mm-hmm. And then yet, as he said, he, you know, this is by far the thing that he's going to be most known for. And he certainly is. Yeah, no question about that. Yeah, for sure. Within our drunk Bible study sure community. Yeah. 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 Wow. Amazing. Oh boy! Well, it's time, my friends. Okay. It's time for the pee, my dear friends. The peen. It's time for the pee. <laughs> oh, gosh! Oh gosh! Peeny weeny. This actually this led me down a really interesting rabbit hole. Oh yeah. So I'm going to start with. I just started looking at what different translations have to say. So specifically, the verses Ezekiel twenty three twenty. The NIV, as we read in the main episode, there she lusted after her lovers whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose emission was like that of horses. Most of the other translations stick to that same theme. I did like the contemporary English version says, she eagerly wanted to go to bed with Egyptian men who were famous for their sexual powers. Wow. (laughs) Hot. Yeah. I also liked Young's literal translation. And she doteth on their paramours, whose flesh is the flesh of asses, and the issue of horses, their issue. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know horses, you know horse cum, you know? Everyone knows that. That's what it was like. It's great. (laughs) Like, I like that. I'm sorry. I don't, how. Where are you going with this? Horses, I don't think that they're just like regularly (laughs) coming all over the place for people to like see it. But these are like an agrarian people, right? Where they have to do their own animal husbandry. And so... I suppose, yeah. So they all know. They all know. It's like we can relate to that. Yeah. I guess, you know, when you've seen a horse artificially inseminated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they do. Yeah. All right. All right. I've seen something like this. Okay, go on. So most of the explanations that I found in Christian blogs, it's pretty much the same where they're like, oh yeah, it's very lewd and very rude and very explicit, but it's meant to be that way because it's supposed to shock, you know, it's supposed to shock the men (laughs) that we're prophesying to. It's supposed to be disgusting. It's gross. Mm. It's a gross thing that we're reading this metaphor about how how upset and disgusted God is by (sighs) the terrible things that his metaphorical wives are doing. Mm-hmm. Specifically in this, this Christian blog from connectusfun.org, it says, the lewd imagery was chosen for a reason. God is like a jealous husband and our forsaking of him or idols is as disgraceful and gross as this image portrays. Wow. Huh. Wow. Wow. Now, on the hermeneutic stack exchange, yes, yes. okay, good. Of someone course. did say, why the vulgarity in Ezekiel twenty three twenty? Yeah, why indeed? Yeah, and here's where it's where the explanation behind this starts to get a little bit dark. I will warn you. Oh, it starts to, oh okay. I'm not gonna. It's not gonna get any more graphic or intense than uh, we've already covered in the Bible here. Sure. Right. But in the hermeneutic stack exchange, the person who asked that question, there's only one response, and where the person lays out like, yeah, it's a metaphor. This is what it means. You know, Samaria, Israel, yada, 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 yada. And then at the end, they're like, 
yeah, so if you imagine like a jealous husband whose wife has just cheated on him one too many times and then he flies into a rage and very justly throws a bunch of names and profanity at mm. her. That's why. Mm. Uh, and so very it's like, justly? Okay, mm. bye. Y- yes, like italicized also. Very justly goes okay. to this place of verbal abuse. That's like what God is doing, right? Oh, yeah. So it's okay. okay. Now... Yeah, so very similar to the justifications I was coming across. For yeah, this. yeah. Okay. Now, I did find an interesting book called... Sexual and Marital Metaphors in Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel by Sharon Moten Mumby. Okay. What, this is published yeah. by Oxford. I'm sure there's a okay. lot to say on this topic. A lot to say. A lot to say. Now, some really interesting quotes out of this book that actually look at this in a much more critical lens. So I'm going to read this quote. The depiction of a holobah's desire in terms of the size, in parentheses, animal-like, <laughs> of, you know, the male members seems Uh not just an example of mere misnaming of female experience, but an actual distortion of it. Instead of reflecting female desire, this depiction betrays male obsession. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, yeah, that is really interesting. Tracks with the psychoanalytic approach. Yes, it tracks. And it it tracks exactly what still happens today, which is still this kind of sense of male sexual figures that are marketed to straight women are not really what straight women want. It's more what men are obsessed with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this sense of, oh yeah, men want the super, super oily beefcake. That's what ladies are attracted to. I see. That's a really good point. Fascinating. Those are the images we're going to put out there when really that's more of a male power fantasy. And I guess huh. the same thing of like, yeah, his dick is like a donkey's and he's just like <laughs> coming buckets for days. That's what turns women on, right? Fascinating. And not that I want to kink shame anybody that does turn some women on, but I think speaking in more broad strokes, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's like it's not just from, one flavor of many 31 yeah, to many flavors. 50,000 flavors that are out there. <laughs> I like how Baskin-Robbins is your starting point. Like from 31 to uh, some number higher than that. Yeah. Now here's another interesting... So I found this site and I think I found some more people who are like our people. I actually... Oh, okay. Already okay. sent them a message inviting them on the podcast. Oh, lovely. Okay. Executive decision. Excellent. Okay. Uh, this is for some people who made a game called A Game for Good Christians. Okay. And it's basically like a Christian take on Cards Against Humanity, but very much in the DBS flavor. It seems like very much their mission statement is we're just using stuff straight out of the Bible. And if you're offended by that, then you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And we're not here to like make fun of it. We're not trying to tear it down. We're just trying to be funny, essentially. I love that. And they actually, on the site, it's not just about the game. They have a bunch of really, really interesting blog posts. And so I'm going to read you a quote here. Um, So more than this, the female body is used to conjure up for Ezekiel's audience images of dread, chaos, anarchy, and evil. Mm. Some have gone as far as calling Ezekiel's language pornographic or pornoprophetic, which I thought was clever. <laughs> pornoprophetic <laughs> is such a good... Pornoprophetic? Oh, That's wow. beautiful. That was a good band name. Right. Yes. Which is valid as Ezekiel's use of women in his metaphors contains, quote, the preservation of male domination through a denial or misnaming of female experience, which is considered a distinguishing feature of pornography. And they go on to to list all the stuff that we've encountered before about Ezekiel obsessing over women's menstrual cycles and their breasts <sighs> being fondled and just so much breast talk in this so much chapter stuff, you know. And but they go on to say, and so they're saying that yeah, obviously this is a really problematic depiction of women, where it's both this combination of 
they want sex and they're taking pleasure in sex, but it's bad that they're doing that. But also they're like victims of assault, but also maybe because they're, they were victims of assault, they still deserved it because they were <sighs> adulterous. And what I <sighs> really love is they kind of end on this note of saying, you know, one of the difficulties with the text is that Ezekiel's words only work if God is painted in an abusive light. Period. That's a well. Yes. And you're, like, thank yeah, you. Yes, thank you. Kind of where we've landed. Yes, thank too, you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So that's why I was like, "Hey, I think we'd get along." Yeah. Uh, you want to? It seems like their. It seems like their uh, game actually. I think would be pretty fun. That that should could be check a that fun, out. Yeah. Tuts. Yeah. They claim that also you can have a wide variety of experience with the Bible to still have fun. I mean, with the game. So. We should pick up that game and bring it to the family for the holidays. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, I, great. I, if you were, you know, discretion is advised. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I did want to say too that um, I found on YouTube when I was looking up my stuff about Ezekiel, I found that there are these posts on YouTube that's called the New International Version Dramatized Audio Bible. Oh that I boy! Think oh, is all computer-generated voice of no. a man in a very monotone no, no, way no. reading the Bible. Oh, no. <laughs> so dramatized then... is generous. <laughs> wow! But wow. it's all the NIV, and I found the section that's you know Ezekiel twenty-three because uh-huh. I looked it up for twenty-four first, and I was like, oh man, I want to hear this for twenty-three with the with these penises. Are, are you going to play it? Do you want to hear? It? Do you, I mean, do you yeah. want to hear? Oh, it? I would yeah. love to hear I it. Do. Yeah, okay. you you really built it up. Okay, all right, all right, here we go. Yet she became more and more promiscuous as she recalled the days of her youth when she was a prostitute in Egypt. There she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose omission was like that of horses. I like the music. So you longed for the lewdness of your youth when in Egypt your bosom was caressed and your young breasts fondled. Your bosom. (laughs) Your bosom. Bosom. It's a lot, okay. a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, he's just really intense about it. And then, and then the comments, the comments, oh the first number oh one God. comment okay, is yeah. so deep. I'm touched. Just, just great. But a lot of the comments were things like this one person said, How could all this porn in the Bible? That's not holy. <laughs> How could? How could? How could all this porn? How could then, all this then, porn in the Bible? And then someone tried to. I just. Oh no! I see. And then someone okay. responded to that and said, "Can you let kids read this porno versus lol? Why would a holy book describe a sexual part details for the people?" <laughs> <laughs> and then, they, and then they write out the quote. <laughs> what? Who did a bot write this? I do like to imagine this is all bots all the time. Just yeah. the, the audiobook was bots, the people commenting are bots, <laughs> but we've reached that level yeah. of the singularity where like bots are having moral arguments with each oh, other man. about porn I in just, the Bible. It's really good. I, I, I still am, uh, I'm way back to towards the beginning of what you were talking about, Jess. And I'm, I just keep thinking of like a band jumping up on stage and being like, we are. Porno prophetic. Thank you, Los Angeles. <laughs> just jump. Porno prophetic is a really good. Or maybe we are the porno prophets. Oh, porno prophets. Porno prophets. Is We're the porno. That would be difficult to say. Well, that's all I got. That's what I got for you. That's beautiful. Can I leave you with one last comment from this? This one just says, wow, prono by God. <laughs> How do you know of your pagante? 
God. Okay. All right, wow. folks. Well, thank you for. I was going to say thank you for coming on this trip. Oh, boy. <laughs> As it were. Thank you for joining us. Were. We hope that you'll still join us <laughs> after today. Listener discretion and, is advised. Yes. At all and times. we will see y'all around. Have a good week. <laughs>